Friends, tonight as we begin our studies in prayer, we're thinking about where the real battle is. The Christian life is, of course, as many of you will know and attest, is a life of conflict. Brothers, sisters, we are at war. Six times in the so-called warfare passage of Ephesians chapter 6. And in just two verses, in point of fact, verses 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul uses the word against. A word referring to hand-to-hand combat. A word he uses, I believe, to emphasize both the intensity of the battle and the personal nature of the battle. The Christian life is not some spectator sport viewed from a safe distance. We are not friends, or at least we should not be Those who are simply watching on the sidelines, endeavoring to to see what goes on in the center. We are, or we should be in the thick of it, so to speak, personally involved in the conflict. The Christian, therefore, is against something or someone. And some think or someone is against the Christian. I don't want to alarm you, dear friends. But as believers, we are the objects of organized assaults by unseen forces. You see, a hierarchy of invisible powers that are in rebellion against God are taking out the rebellion on you and I. Because we're bearers of his name. Paul identifies these rather sinister opponents as rulers. Authorities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil. Walter Wink, interesting name. (laughs) An excellent book, Naming the Powers, the Language of Power in the New Testament. Certainly worth a read. Observes. This is a series... A heaping up of terms, he says, to describe the effable, invisible, world-enveloping reach of a spiritual network of powers hostile to life. These are not mere metaphors that the Apostle Paul uses. They're not mere figures of speech, friend, for the battle is very, very real. In a sense, 
the primary target, therefore, in prayer and in intercession is not the person or the problem. The primary target in prayer and in intercession is rather the powers behind the person or the problem. Those unseen powers that the Apostle Paul calls rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil. And friends, there are powers behind these people and problems, and they are deep and they are dark powers. We must, we must break the habit of mistaking the visible part for the whole. Of confusing what the eye beholds with ultimate reality. Again, quoting Walter Wink, he says, The consequence of such confusion is slavery to the unseen power behind the visible elements. We are, you see, engaged in a spiritual warfare and we must See the devil, meet the devil on his own ground. Paul alludes to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 and 4. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. He goes on, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Our warfare, friends, is not physical, it's not material, and so our weapons cannot be physical, cannot be material in nature. I read recently about a man called Alan. Alan was the kind of guy you couldn't help but like. No matter how hard you tried, you couldn't help but like Alan. Personality plus, you know the type. A little bit like you, our very own Alan Southgate. That's where the analogy breaks down, Alan, because this Alan was a hot salesman. He was a professing Christian, but he was also, sadly, an alcoholic. And when he was drunk, he was abusive to his wife and his children. He was, however, aware of his problem. And Alan met with his pastor often. He had many counseling sessions with his pastor. He wept and prayed and repented. But nothing happened. Late one night, Alan's distraught wife called the pastor. Drunk again, he'd come home abusive and this time worse than ever. His wife had taken the kids and out of necessity had fled the house. As the pastor drove to Alan's house, the Lord helped him realize that Alan's problem was not the problem. It was a power behind the problem that was the problem. 
You see, Satan had built a stronghold in Alan's life and that stronghold had to be destroyed before Alan would ever be free of his problem with alcohol. And so that night, Alan and his pastor prayed in the light of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 4. In prayer, they ask God to identify the stronghold. And God helped them and enabled them to do that. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they confronted the satanic stronghold in Alan's life. For the first time, exposing it for what it really was. Acknowledging and claiming Christ's power over it. It's uncertain, friends, exactly what happened that night or how it happened. But from that moment on, Alan never took another drink of alcohol again. And his whole life was changed. The church has often been slow to understand the tactics needed for spiritual warfare. We wade into battle, so to speak, armed with beautiful sanctuaries, armed with choreographed programs, armed with high-profile publicity. And essentially, there's nothing wrong with these things. But alone, dear friends, these things are absolutely useless in spiritual warfare. Jesus had a way of getting past the surface problem to the power behind the problem. Wouldn't you agree? Do you remember when Peter had declared who Jesus was? And who do you say that I am? He challenged the disciples. Peter boldly declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Boy, what a guy Peter was. But almost immediately after that wonderful declaration concerning the identity of Jesus, he proceeded to rebuke the Lord. Because Jesus had talked about going to Jerusalem to die. How did Jesus respond? Fascinating, isn't it? Did Jesus appeal to Peter's understanding of the Holy Scriptures? No. Did Jesus present a, a logical argument or a theological treatise about the necessity for the Messiah to go to Jerusalem to die? No, Jesus went beyond the person. Jesus went beyond the problem to the power behind both. What did he declare? Matthew sixteen twenty three. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew that his conflict was not with the flesh and blood of Peter but with the spiritual powers of darkness that were functioning behind the personality and behind the personality's problem. When Paul and Silas were in Philippi, 
A young fortune teller followed them for days, causing all manner of difficulty as they sought to proclaim the gospel of Christ. These men are servants of the Most High God, she says, not out of declaration or proclamation, but out of rebuke or ridicule. How did the apostle deal with this problem? Did he gently inform the girl of the dangers of occultism? No. Did he challenge this girl about uh, uh, her misguided ways? On the contrary, the Bible says Paul turned to her and said to the Spirit. That's profound, isn't it? You look at the text. He turned and looked at her and said to the Spirit, Come out of her in the name of Jesus. Paul went beyond the problem beyond the personality, to the power that lay behind both. His warfare was spiritual, and he used spiritual weapons. In any war, to underestimate the enemy is a deadly mistake, and no less so in the spiritual conflict. You know, it's not enough to replace crooked politicians with honest ones. It's not enough to dismantle corrupt institutions. It's not enough to repeal unjust laws. It's not enough to erase pornography or to do away with abortion. These things are not enough. They might allow us to win surface battles, but of themselves, my friends, I believe they are not enough. Because behind these personalities and behind these problems are demonic powers. And unless the demonic powers are tattled head on, then the enemy continues to advance. Walter Wink says change is possible, but only if the spirit as well as the forms of power are touched. And that spirit can only be spiritually discerned and spiritually encountered. How do we storm the invisible citadels? How do we attack unseen powers? This is where intercession enters the fray, I believe. It is not enough to protest. We must pray. In the ninth chapter of Mark, there's a fascinating story of a demon-possessed boy and his father. While Jesus was on the mountain with Peter, James and John, the remaining nine disciples, we read, attempted and unsuccessfully to cast out the demon of the boy. After Jesus uh, arrived back onto the scene and, and wonderfully delivered the boy, his disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus 
Jesus replied, the NIV says, this kind of spirit demon can come out only by prayer. Reliable translations also, certainly of early texts, will include fasting. Prayer and fasting. Friends, this speaks of a necessary intensity of spiritual warfare. An intensity that clearly the nine disciples were, for whatever reason, unable to achieve. And I believe, for the most part, this is where many churches, many Christians are at. We're numbered amongst the nine. All good intentions. We want to drive out the demons. But it ain't happening. Well, we know it's not happening because, look around you. Beyond these four walls. All good intentions. But it ain't happening. And Jesus says, no, no, this kind will only be driven out by prayer and fasting. The implication is one of absolute intensity of spiritual warfare. An intensity, sadly, that many Christians have never known. Sad to say. Never known. Because we pray for the person, and we pray for the problem, but we haven't learned to recognize the power behind both. You see, to recognize the powers behind both, we need to see with the eye of faith, not with the naked eye. And then we can begin to recognize those powers and tackle those powers with an intensity, prayer and fasting. In my first pastorate in Hisham in North Lancashire, there was an occasion when I was called to a caravan park that was inhabited by gypsies. One of their own had died, one of the matriarchs of the family. And she was laying in state, so to speak, in the caravan. And uh, I was invited to go and, and say some prayers. While I was... Uh, Trembling as I went, I have to be honest with you. I entered the caravan park, and as I entered through the gate, it felt as though I was passing from light into darkness. It was as tangible as that. As I walked through the caravan park, I felt myself getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. Until I got to the appropriate caravan. And I knocked on the door. And as the door opened, it was as though, my friends, and I'm not being overtly sensationalistic, it's the truth, it was as though evil was hitting me in the face as the door opened. And I fled. I didn't go in. I bid a very, very, very quick, I must go. And I fled. 
You see, I thought in my ignorance I was ready. Oh, I could see, you see, I could see with the naked eye exactly what the situation was. So I thought. I could see the the people there, and I was I was known to them, and they were known to me for the most part. I could see the circumstances in my in my mind's eye. I saw nothing, and I fled. A week later, I gathered the prayers of Hesham Free Methodist Church. And we came together after seven days of prayer. And they stood at the entrance of the hall of that caravan park as I went in. <laughs> and they were fighting, my friends, forces. Invisible to the naked eye, but oh, extraordinarily real. Forces of evil. And they were praying and they were fighting and they were fighting and they were praying. And as I went in again, again with fear. By that time, the lady's funeral had taken place, but I went nevertheless. And I knocked on the door of the caravan. But my friends, whilst that sense of evil and wickedness was palpable, nevertheless I went with a sense of conquering power and authority. Certainly as my prayer warriors stood at the gate praying for their pastor. My fear is many Christians were like, are like that, that wet behind the ears pastor in 1996. My first pastoral charge just a, a few weeks into it. I thought I understood After all, I'd spent four years in Bible college and theological institutions. After all, I'd had certifications to tell me that I was qualified for the Christian ministry. I thought. I understood. Not a bit of it. Boy, it was a steep learning curve. And boy, was it a rebuke of the Spirit to this young pastor. But I'm not alone. My conviction is that the vast majority of Christians in 21st century Britain fail to engage in spiritual warfare. We pray, well-meaning, perhaps not as often as we should, but we pray. But we just tickle the surface. You see, we're praying for personalities. We're praying for problems. We're failing to see what lay behind them. We pick up little victories from time to time. And they are wonderful. But my friends, the enemy advances. And for the most part, he does so unhindered and unfettered. Because the church of Jesus Christ is just not there yet. Paul says in verse 12, sorry, verse 14, stand. It's an interesting thing. We often call this passage, uh, the passage concerning the armor of God. And, and yes, it is. I'm going to be contentious now. 
referring to the spiritual forces of evil, he begins with this expression, stand. It is a command in the original Greek, stand. And then I believe that the rest of verse 14 and verses 15 through 17 are parenthetical in nature. And when we get to verse 18, Paul gets to the point. Pray. Stand. And pray. I like the idea of the armor of God and there's so much to learn from it. But if we're not careful, it can distract us from the reality. Stand and pray. Friends, the battle for lost souls is won by prayer and intercession. As we tattle not the people all their problems, but the powers behind both. The battle for this pulpit tonight, and there was, is won. Do you realize that? And for every pulpit where the word of God is preached and taught, the battle for that pulpit is won, or lost, well before the preacher got up to, pr- to, to preach. Did you realize that? Oh, Oh, yeah. It's quite sobering, really, isn't it? If pastor and people haven't done the spade work before six o'clock, then arguably pastor and people might as well go home. (laughs) How you say, but we've not had our happy time together. True enough. But the battle is won or lost. A long time before we gathered here for worship. I'm not being critical. It's an observation. Just one person prayed with pastor before I came in here today. Notwithstanding others probably had prayed before. And I appreciate the prayers. But just one member of Coid Permine Community Church prayed with pastor. Before I preached today. I'm not being critical. It's just what it is. As my old man used to say, son, it is what it is. Get over it. Trying to get over it. But if we believe what we say we believe about prayer, then any and every opportunity will be grasped with welcoming arms. Would it not? Because the battle is the Lord's. We declare it in song. The battle is the Lord's. So, so where should that battle be fought? In the prayer meeting. The battle for lost souls. The lost souls of Trattling. Our heart breaks for them, does it not? Where is that battle going to be won? With a, with a strategy? I hear often people say, oh, pastor's five-year vision. My friends, if it remains to this day, pastor's five-year vision, forget about it. If you've not embraced it by now, you probably won't. (laughs) Sorry, but that's the reality of it. 
two and a half years or so in. If you haven't braced it by now, you probably won't. But my friends, it's not about uh, pastor's five-year vision. It's not about pastor's strategy. <coughs> it's not about pastor's methodology. <coughs> it's about prayer. You can have the best methodology in all the world that can sell all the wonderful books in the world and it amount to absolutely nothing because the battle is won or lost in the prayer meeting. We say we believe in prayer. And yet, still, the least attended meeting in this church and many others like it remains. The prayer meeting. It's a bit of a no-brainer really, isn't it? <laughs> we want to win the loss for Christ. And I tell you, they're there for winning. The promise of Christ, it says that the fields are white unto harvest. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. <laughs> so notice, the, the fields are white unto harvest. Send the evangelists, not first and foremost. Pray ye Therefore, the Lord understood where, where the souls would be won or lost, didn't he? Intercession, friends, is the secret weapon of the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's so secret that many churches don't know it yet. <laughs> the early Christians understood this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved.